Justification by faith alone is central to the gospel. It is so essential that the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 says, If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let him be anathema, accursed, damned to hell. And then he repeats himself. I say unto you again, just in case you did not hear, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let him be accursed, anathema, damned to hell. For this reason, Martin Luther said, justification is the article of a standing or falling church. John Calvin occurred, uh, concurred. He said, it is the principal ground on which religion must be supported. Francis Turretin, writing in the 17th century, he agrees, this saving doctrine is of the greatest importance in religion. Let us ask ourselves this morning, is justification by faith alone of the greatest importance for our religion? John Calvin gives us practical reasons why it should be. He says, unless you understand, first of all, what your position is before God and the judgment which he passes upon you, you have no foundation on which your salvation can be laid or on which piety towards God can be reared. So if the church of Jesus Christ, if professing believers are to have their salvation and piety established, it must be built upon the firm foundation of justification by faith alone. So this morning I want to lay that foundation and I want to do so with an overview of justification by faith alone. We will consider, one, the meaning of justification. Two, the subjects of justification. Three, the ground of justification. Four, the instrument of justification. Five, the blessing of justification. So first of all then, the meaning of justification. The word to justify in its variations is used throughout Paul's epistles. And it's used in Romans chapter 3, for example, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. But what does justification mean? Are you able to define justification? If all Protestants confess that justification is essential and central to the gospel, then surely all Christians can easily define and describe justification. Sadly, this is not the case. R.C. Sproul, in 60 years of ministry, preached town to town, lectured city to city, country to country, and he often bewailed the fact that many Christians do not know what justification is. 
Many believers and professing believers cannot define and describe justification. I have only been a pastor for five years, very, very short time. And in this short time, it has been my experience that many, many Christians cannot define or describe justification. And if you ask them, where is it in the Bible, they look at you like a deer in the headlights. Whether it's interviewing for membership, interviewing for the Lord's table, whether it's in fellowship or just meeting a Christian, if you ask them, what is justification? Many cannot do it. And just as sad, if not more in fact, there are theological students who cannot define and describe justification. I've seen it with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears. So what is justification? Let's start off by saying what it is not. Often, Christians wrongly define justification in these two ways. First of all, the forgiveness of sins. Justification is not the forgiveness of sins. Does justification produce the forgiveness of sins? Yes. Is the forgiveness of sins a benefit of justification? Yes. But the forgiveness of sins is not justifications. In evangelical talk, we like to make synonyms and little acronyms to help us with doctrines. And that's good at times, you know. Tulip, five solos. A popular one out there is justification is just if I'd never sinned. Sounds good. But it's wrong. If justification was just the forgiveness of sins and merely just if I'd never sinned, none of us would be going to heaven. All it would be is a paying of the debt. Now you go and be righteous enough for God. It would be a man in debt wiping it all away. Now you're back to neutral ground. Now perfectly obey the law to enter heaven. So justification is not forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is very much part of and a benefit of justification. A second error is when we use this language. Justification is that we are made righteous before God. That's Roman Catholicism. To be made means you are created to be. You are formed and fashioned to be. And that's wrong. We are not made to be. Someone might quote Second Corinthians chapter 5.21 where it says that in Christ we are made the righteousness of God in him. That word made there is not the word to make. It's the word to be or to become. It simply says we go from the state of condemnation to the state of righteousness. It does not mean to make. And in fact, look at the parallel. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Does that mean Jesus Christ actually became subjectively a sinner? Blasphemy. He was declared to be a sinner. But he was not himself a sinner. So in the parallel, we be, we become righteous, but we are not subjectively made righteous in the doctrine of justification. So what then is justification? The word to justify means to pronounce one righteous In the sight of another. To pronounce, not to make, to pronounce, declare 
one is righteous. It is a judicial word from the law courts. Whereas a judge judging another person. And the judge announces, declares, pronounces, this man, this woman is righteous. The judge doesn't make the man or woman righteous. He doesn't change the man or woman. He doesn't infuse to the man or the woman. He simply announces he is righteous. And we know that because of how the word is used in the Bible. It's used in the legal court. It means to announce. It never means to infuse or to change or to transform. And it's often used with the the antithesis, condemn, justify. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 1. If there be a controversy between men and they come unto judgment, legal terms, that the judges may judge them and they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Judges don't make people righteous. They don't make people wicked. They declare one is righteous or wicked. Proverbs chapter 17, 15. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. So there again, it's legal terms. You are not to declare righteous the wicked and you're not to condemn the righteous. There's no subjective changing here. You're declaring and announcing Luke chapter 7, 29. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God. Do people make God righteous? Is he like unrighteous and therefore we need to justify him and make him righteous? No, it is we are declaring that God is righteous. And I could go on and on with quotes, but two or three witnesses are sufficient biblically. So to justify does never mean to change or to make. It means to declare and pronounce righteous. So in Paul, in Romans 3 and 4, and in Galatians, when he speaks of justification, he is speaking of announcing, pronouncing, declaring one is righteous before God. God is on his throne of judgment. A man or a woman are before him. And he is justifying them. He is declaring righteous in my sight. If we use any other language to define justification, we're erroneous. Potentially heretical. Let us never say justification makes us righteous, but declares us righteous. Why are we exhorting the brethren to study the catechism? Why is it in the mornings we're going through? It seems some people are struggling to learn. Why are we doing that? For everyone's betterment. Because the catechism is a wonderful help to define your terms biblically. What is justification? Question 33, read it, memorize it, meditate on it, feed on it, enjoy it, and use it when you describe justification. It will keep you from error. Secondly, the subjects of justification. Who is justified? If you ask the Roman Catholic Church, the righteous are justified. They believe that God only justifies the righteous. That unless you yourself are personally righteous, you can never be justified. And so your entire life is a life of faith and works. And they often use the synonym charity. 
a life of charity, where if you do enough good works, maybe you're righteous enough before God to be justified, but they also teach the vast majority are not righteous enough, and therefore they must go to purgatory for a few million years. What does the Bible say? Who are justified? Romans chapter 4, verse 5. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him. Now read these words. That justifieth the ungodly. Read that again. Justifieth the ungodly. Isn't that just remarkable? God does not justify the righteous. He justifies the ungodly. Ungodly is a word that simply means godless before God and wicked in our actions. Jude, verse 15, summarizes. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which have they ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's who God justifies. The wicked, the evil, the sinner, the ungodly. And this is good news, because that's who you are. That's who I am. You're not good. You're not righteous in yourselves. You're evil, wicked, wretched, naked, poor sinners. And that's who God justifies. Paul wants everyone to be persuaded of it. So in Romans chapter 3, from verse 9 and following, he uses Bible verse after Bible verse to show how sinful we are. There is none righteous, no, not one, not you, not you, not you, not me. There is none that understands, there is none that seeks after God, not you, not me. Idolaters, figments of our imaginations will worship. When Romans chapter 1 will turn creatures into objects of worship. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not you, not you, not you, nor I. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have deceit. The poison of asps under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Then it says in verse 19, so that all the world may become guilty before God. Do you know that? I mean, do you really, really know that? Are you a prideful Christian? A prideful Calvinist? There's no such thing. Or do you know we are always an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, Isaiah? God justifies the ungodly. And that's why it's good news. Because I am an evil, wicked, wretched, poor sinner and God justifies the ungodly. That's that great commission in Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. Because every man, woman and child is unrighteous in the sight of God. Ungodly in the sight of God. Wicked and evil in the sight of God. Every imagination of the thoughts of the heart are only evil continually. And we all deserve condemnation in hell and God comes and says, he justifies the ungodly. It's good news for me. It's good news for you. 
It's good news for our nation. It's good news for the whole world. Shout and declare to all, God justifies the ungodly. Thirdly, the ground of justification. On what basis does God justify the ungodly? Sweet, sweet, amazing grace. Romans 3.24 Being justified freely by his grace. We haven't earned anything. We don't deserve justification. We don't merit justification. But freely, by his grace, as a free gift, he justifies the ungodly. How can we ever just look over the word grace and say, oh, it's grace, we use it in our language, we use it in songs, let's move on. No, let's stop. When Paul was describing salvation in Ephesians 1, he doesn't just go over an intellectual description of the order of salvation from eternity to time. He stops every now and again and just simply must worship to the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Is that you? When was the last time you were simply reading listening or meditating on justification and you couldn't continue. You had to just stop and just thank God and praise him and adore him for grace. Are you someone who truly lives the life of grace by worshipping God for his grace? Are you someone who, an intellectual Calvinist, has studied it all before, you've read the systematics, you've done the lectures, and now you're moving on where you do not understand grace and you don't understand justification? May every single one of us be so filled with awe that God freely justifies the ungodly by his grace. And what is grace? Grace is an attribute of God. And God is a simple being. That means he is not made up of part. He's not part grace, part love, part justice, part holiness. It means his whole, undivided, eternal, immutable essence is grace. God's grace means he gives himself to us when we don't deserve it. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't give something apart from himself. He doesn't give us the best thing he possesses. He gives himself fully and freely to the ungodly. Now, how does God show such matchless grace to us? By sending Jesus Christ to be the ground of our justification. 24 again. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the grace of God. There's not God, then Christ, then this third thing called grace. It is God is grace, and God's grace is, though we don't deserve it, sending himself in the second person of the Trinity in human nature to be the righteousness of our justification. That's grace. That's better than anything he could ever give us. He gives him himself. And Jesus Christ only can be the ground of our justification. We need a divine righteousness. Nothing less than a divine righteousness can justify us. 
That's why again and again and again the Bible speaks of the righteousness of God. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 16 to 17. Where it speaks of the gospel of Christ. And in verse 17, for therein, for in Christ, is the righteousness of God revealed. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Even the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 again. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We've offended an infinite being. The only righteousness that merits is a divine righteousness. Adam's righteousness was perfect. But it wasn't meritorious. It was always less than the divine justice. So when man fell and sinned against the infinite righteousness of God, there needs to be in turn an infinite righteousness to satisfy his infinite justice. That's why the Bible repeatedly says the righteousness of God in him. And Jesus Christ alone is that righteousness. No angels, not Mary, no saint, no church, no believer. Jesus Christ alone is God and the righteousness of God in him. But that's not enough to justify us. We need a man As men we have fallen, as men we are unrighteous, we need another man to be the righteousness for us. And Jesus Christ is truly man. He is unique. God the Father's righteousness cannot justify us. God the Holy Ghost's righteousness cannot justify us. We need a God-man. That's why the mediator is necessary. And Jesus Christ alone, no angel, no Mary, no being, Jesus Christ alone is God-man and is perfectly fit to be the ground of our justification. And what righteousness he has. His righteousness is the perfect obedience of the law of God. He was made of a woman under the law. In Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offence of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. And here's the good news of Jesus Christ. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification for life. Christ's perfect law-keeping, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind and strength, loving his neighbour as himself, keeping every single one of the Decalogue is the righteousness to satisfy God. But we've offended his justice. There needs to be a righteous sacrifice. And Christ Jesus is that righteous sacrifice. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 to 26. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Christ had to be the propitiation. God's offended. He's offended at you and me for our sins. He's offended at Adam and all his posterity. And Jesus Christ comes to take away the offense by being a righteous propitiation for our sins. 
And as he suffers and bleeds and is wounded and forsaken of God on that cross, God the Father's justice is satisfied. Do you remember Proverbs 17.15? Whosoever justifies the wicked is an abomination before the Lord. How does that not apply to God? Because he took the wicked. He put them all on his beloved son at the cross. And he condemned and punished wickedness in his son at the cross. So that God, verse 26, is both just and the justifier. And then this grace is a free gift. And God's going to give us the perfect righteousness of Christ through imputation. This is essential to justification. You lose imputation, you've got no justification. Look at Romans 4 from verse 3. There's one word in the Greek and it's translated different ways. Sometimes it's translated counted, sometimes impute, sometimes reckoned. It's the same word. It says in verse 4, where it's uh, three, sorry, that it was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 4, reckoned of grace, not of debt. Verse 5, faith is counted for righteousness. Verse 6, speaks about whom God imputeth righteousness, and so on and so forth. So three words, reckon, counted, imputation, but the exact same word. And it's a word that comes from the marketplace. Or maybe you go to a store and you go to the counter and you have an account and you can say, excuse me, sir or madam, could you please check my account and see what's on it? Oh, your account, you're, you know, you're $100 in debt. Or no, we actually owe you $600. Well, that's the word. And it is saying, verse 5 and 6, that God's going to impute righteousness to the believer. He takes that perfect, spotless, infinite, divine worth righteousness and imputes it, counts it, reckons it, transfers it to your account. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, when God sees you, what does he see? Perfection. He sees infinite, divine perfection of righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that glorious? You know your sins. I know my sins. And when God looks at you as the judge of all the earth, who cannot, not, not wink at sin, who will not take a bribe, and he looks at you and sees perfection, infinite righteousness of God, because Christ Jesus' righteousness is imputed to your account. Fourthly, the instrument of justification. How is it we receive this imputation of righteousness? The Bible is crystal clear. Faith. Faith without works. Faith alone. Chapter 3. 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. 4, verse 3. What saith the scripture? Quoting Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 5. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly. It is faith. Faith is the instrument 
that justifies. Faith is a resting and trusting in Jesus Christ's righteousness alone to be right before God. Faith denies everything else and self. Faith denies baptism. Faith denies, faith denies church attendance or membership. Faith denies spiritual upbringing. Faith denies your own works, your own deeds. Faith says, I am an unclean thing and my righteousness is as filthy rags. And then faith looks to Jesus Christ's righteousness alone for justification. And this faith is an instrument, not a ground. This is where Arminians and Calvinists depart. Arminians deny justification by faith alone. Because they believe in justification by work. Did you notice the singular there? I never said justification by works. I said justification by work. Arminians believe... That God requires of man only one work for salvation. And that one work is faith. And because man has the natural ability to believe, it is a natural work of man. And if man simply has the work of faith, God sees that faith and says that faith is the righteousness. And they get that from a wrong reading of Genesis 15, 6 and Romans chapter 4, verse 3, where it says, Abraham believed God and it, the faith, was counted unto him for righteousness. Therefore, the faith is the righteousness. That's salvation by works and a false gospel. False gospel. Faith is the instrument If it's your birthday and someone comes to you and there's a gift. You have not earned that gift. You don't work for that gift. You do nothing for that gift. The person's giving you this gift freely. You bring out an empty hand and it's merely the instrument of receiving the gift. The righteousness that justifies us is not our faith, but the righteousness of Christ received by faith. We've confirmed that with texts already. Let's just look at 2 Corinthians 5.21 again. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So not our faith, Christ's faith, sorry, Christ's righteousness received to us by faith. This means there are no works. And we should know the Bible verses off by heart because they are so profound and necessary. Romans 4.3 is clear. And that's because verse 4 says, To him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. You can't have grace and works together. Romans chapter 11 verse 6. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. You can't have grace in works. Grace is a free gift received only by faith. And the difference between heaven and hell is justification by faith. That's hell. And heaven is justification by faith alone. That's why we believe in the solace. Roman Catholics believe in justification by faith. They believe in justification by grace. They believe in justification by Christ. If you dare to say they believe in justification by work, they say you've never read a single Roman Catholic document in your life, have you? They don't believe in works. They believe in grace which infused into them enables them to do good works in response to grace. But the difference in the Bible, the difference in 
Heaven and hell is that word alone. It's not faith and works. It's not faith and baptism. It's not faith and church attendance. It's not faith and repentance. It's not faith and my feelings. It's not faith and my emotional experiences. It's not faith and my degree of faith. It is faith alone which justifies. And when you have faith in Jesus Christ alone, fifthly, you have the benefits and the blessings of justification. Romans 5.1, being justified by faith. What happens at the very moment you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are instantaneously justified. And what does that justified mean again? To be declared righteous. But I'm ungodly. He justifies the ungodly. But I'm a sinner. He justifies the sinner. I'm so unworthy. He he justifies the unworthy. My My faith is so weak. He justifies the weak faith. He justifies by faith. And the tense is a completed action once and for all. You are justified, you are righteous once and for all, forever. When I've met Roman Catholic friends and I ask them, are you justified? I do not know. Are you in the state of justification? Yes. Can you guarantee me tomorrow morning you're going to be in the state of justification? No. Because Roman Catholics believe you can lose your justification and gain it in a single day. So every day you can lose it, gain it, lose it, gain it, lose it, gain it, lose it, gain it. And yet the Bible says justified once and for all. Brother and sister in Christ, you want to know how righteous you are? You're as righteous as the the saints in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks about the believers, the just men made perfect. Think about the saints right now in heaven beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Think of the saints in heaven in that place of perfection and purity. They are not more righteous than you are. Their righteousness is the righteousness of Christ imputed to them by faith. Your righteousness is the righteousness of Christ imputed to you by faith. You are as equally righteous as the saints. But that's not enough. How righteous is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is not more righteous than you. Jesus Christ is not more righteous than you. He's more holy than you are, but he's not more righteous. Because it's his righteousness given to you. How amazing is that? How mind-blowing is that? That's how righteous you are in the sight of God. And therefore you have peace with God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's not your enemy, but I sin, he's not your enemy. But I fail, he's not your enemy. But I don't do things as I should do them, he's not your enemy. You have righteousness, peace. You're reconciled. And you'll still come at me, but I still sin. Romans chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. As David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Righteousness comes first, forgiveness comes second. Because we're justified, declared righteous in God's sight, therefore all sins are covered by this righteousness, forgiveness. So every transgression, every iniquity, every sin that you have is covered by the righteousness and God will not impute your sin. Why? Because you don't have it anymore. You don't have it anymore. Imagine this Bible, and I gave it to someone else, 
and someone says, can I have the Bible, please? I, I, I can't give you it. Give me the Bible. I can't give you it. Why not? Because I don't have it anymore. Where is the Bible? It's over there. God comes to us and sees our sin. There's no more punishment. It's chastising, but it's a loving, fatherly chastising. There's no retributive punishment. Because he doesn't see your sin over there in you anymore. He sees it 2,000 years ago at Calvary's cross. And he says, as far as east is from the west, so far has he removed my sin from me. Psalm 103. In Hebrews it says time and again that our sins are blotted out. In the language of the prophet, all our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. And God sees righteousness. And the thing we receive this is assurance. Do you want assurance? Do you want to gain assurance? Well, you can have assurance. Robert Bellamine, the probably the greatest theologian for the Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s says, the greatest Protestant heresy is, you fill in the blank. This is what he said, assurance. You can't have no assurance if justifications means we're subjectively impeded to be righteous. But you know you're assured because Christ is righteous and you receive him by faith. So every Protestant, everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ should have assurance. And often the reason we don't is because we're taking our eye off the ball, our eye off the prize, our eye off Jesus Christ. If we look to Jesus Christ and his righteousness, we shall have assurance. How do we apply this? First of all, have faith in Jesus Christ for justification by faith alone. We as Protestants can get justification by faith alone wrong because we start to have faith in the doctrine. No one is saved by believing in justification by faith alone. There are people burning in hell right here, right now, because they believed in justification by faith alone, but they didn't believe in Jesus Christ for justification by faith alone. So you see yourself as a sinner, look to Jesus Christ alone for your righteousness and you shall be justified in God's sight. But as Protestants, we can also distort it again. We can say, I believe in sola fide, justification by faith alone, and then we lack assurance. Why? Because we don't have faith alone, we have faith and. Some people are looking to their faith for faith. I don't know I'm saved because I do not know if I believe enough. I don't know if I have the degree of faith to be saved yet. So I know Christ is righteous. I know it's all of grace. I know God's promised these things, but I don't have faith enough yet. That's justification by works. We need to not look to self, not look to our faith, but look on Jesus Christ. Think of the disciples, the twelve, Peter, James and John. We've been going through the gospel and the mark in the morning. How often has Christ said, O ye little faith, O ye of little faith, and they're justified. It's faith that justifies, not strong faith, weak faith, great faith, little faith. It's a faith that simply grabs Christ and says, you're my only righteousness. Or we can be justification by works by looking to the degree of repentance or degree of conviction or the degree of emotional experience. I can't have assurance that I'm justified because I do not have enough joy in Christ. Works. I don't have assurance because I do not know if I have enough love for Jesus Christ. Works. I do not know if I can have assurance because I am not repentant enough of my sin. Works. I don't know if I'm justified. I don't know if I have enough assurance because I don't have this degree of that or that degree of that. Justification by works. The Bible teaches justification by faith alone. 
And when we look to self and look to the degree of faith or look to the degree of repentance or to look to the degree of conviction, look to the degree of joy or look to the degree of love and that's the basis of our assurance and justification, it's salvation by works. We need to learn the experience of men of history. Martin Luther, he looked to himself. He looked to his works. And one day he was in a tower He was doing a Bible study himself, preparing for lectures on the Romans. And he came across Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. And he describes that as light shining in the darkness. Faith. Faith. That's all. Simple. John Bunyan struggled for years, years, over a decade. I believe I'm not a believer because I don't repent enough. I'm a believer, but I don't hate my sin enough. I'm a believer, but I don't have enough love for God. I'm a believer, but I rejoice in the things of God more than uh, the things of the world more than God. And he had never had peace. Then one day he was walking in the field, and like that, a sentence enters his mind: "Thy righteousness is in the heavens." He had peace. It's not my righteousness. It's not my love, my joy, my conviction, my degree. It's Christ's righteous accomplished, received like a beggar. And he had peace. Or Charles Spurgeon. He knew justification by faith alone. He's probably read 20 books on it by the age of 14. And he had no peace. He looked to himself and his degree of repentance. But one day he was going to church and there was a storm. And he had to go to the nearest church, a primitive Methodist chapel, There's probably eight people in the room. And the preacher didn't turn up because of the storm. And he said, the man preached the worst sermon you've ever heard in your life. The text was, look unto me and be ye saved. And the man in the middle of the sermon just pointed out and says, you young man, you look miserable. And you're always going to be misery because you look to yourself. But if you look unto Jesus, and at that moment, Spurgeon put his faith in Jesus And all it went away because he looked at Jesus Christ. That's justification by faith alone. Know what justification is not. Know what it is. Study the Westminster Confession of Faith on justification. Read R.C. Sproul's book, Faith Alone. Read James Buchanan on justification. Get to know the doctrine well in your mind. But believe in Christ and experience the joy, freedom and liberty of being justified by faith alone. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we marvel in the riches of thy grace that thou dost give thyself in the person of thy Son to be our righteousness. We pray that every single individual in this house would not be trusting in themselves for righteousness, but we would all be looking unto Christ and being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.